0: You're listening to the bear report podcast with Zach Pearson and Aaron Lemming providing extensive coverage of the Chicago bears for the bear report website. The podcast is powered by overtime media. Now here's Zach and Aaron.
2: Welcome in to another edition of the Bear Report Podcast. Training camp has officially started, Bears fans, and we're here to provide you with the latest news on the Chicago Bears as they are now two practices in, maybe three by the time you hear this, as we're recording on a Wednesday night. I'm one of your hosts, Zach Pearson. I'm joined, as always, by my co-host, Aaron Lemming. And Aaron, man, we finally have some Bears football to talk about that's not fully focused on the quarterback competition.
3: It's about damn time. <laughs> I mean it, and it's crazy like it's crazy to think that everything just started this week and yet as we're recording this on a Wednesday night we're exactly what is a 22 days away from the kickoff of I mean we're three days and three weeks and one day from the kickoff of the actual season the the season opener and then we're a week and a half or three and a half weeks away from the Bears kicking off against the Lions in Detroit. I mean it's it's crazy to think, and it's, it's kind of one of those things like everybody's so wound up and, and everything that's going on, the fact that football's back and that there's all these competition battles going on, especially the quarterback situation for the Bears, which, of course, you know, we're going to get into, but it's crazy to think that all of this has to be ironed out probably within the next two, two and a half weeks. Like, we really don't have any time to learn about this team and what's going to be going on. I mean, really the only thing that we can learn at this point, and this is kind of a league-wide thing right now, and we've seen a rash of it, is injuries right now. Season-ending injuries have been huge. The Bears have been hit. We'll get to that. But there's been a lot of players go down with torn ACL so far, Um, and I think that's almost kind of the bigger X factor right now for a lot of teams, and I think the Bears are going to keep that same approach too where you want your big guys and your, your starters and your key players ready for week one, which, again, is three and a half weeks away from most teams.
2: Yeah, and like you said, I mean, we're getting down to the nitty-gritty here. It's been a weird off season, and it's kind of flown by. And while the Bears have opened up training camp, you know, and, and done more on-the-field stuff, Monday was the first time they've actually done on-field work that, you know, wasn't walkthroughs and it was actually position drills and, and you know, a 7-on-7, seven 11-on-11. Seven, 11 11. I mean, the Bears don't have a lot of time to really kind of settle this quarterback competition and the other competitions that are on the roster, and while they have been, you know, on the field, it really hasn't been full go yet. Um, I expect they'll probably change either at the end of this week or this weekend, maybe at latest of next week, but yeah, it's just been pretty much, you know, some drills to practice has been a little shorter. I think they're like an hour and 20 minutes, uh, maybe two hours at the absolute most out there at Hall. yeah, we're getting down to it, man. And, and like you said, week one is gonna be here right before we know it. You know?
3: Yeah, it's crazy. I'm. I, I mean, it's it's kind of it's kind of desperate, but it's like it, I, I don't know how it's been in Chicago, but at least here in, in the Dallas area, it's like we had a rash of like, I think it was like six or seven days that were right around 100. I think we had one day that was like 107. And then all of a sudden, these last like three days, like this random storm front rolled in. And it's been like 93 degrees. And I walk outside even in the, you know, the hottest part of the day. And I'm like, man, it feels starting to feel a little like football time, you know? And it's like, and it's crazy. Cause I mean, it's it's wild to think as we're recording this, I mean, if if this was a normal season, the Bears would be going into their second preseason game right now. I mean, they have, would have already started training camp. They would have already been through basically all of camp at this point. They would have broken camp. They would have been right back at hall. I guess it would, they would have been at hall anyway. But, you know, whatever. You, you get the point. They would have broken camp. They would have been in more of a normal practice schedule by this point. And we would be talking about their second preseason game. And I honestly I can't even remember the preseason schedule at this point. But either way, I mean, they would have been gearing up for that you know, next week being week three of the preseason and really figuring out who's going to be who. And we'd have a much better beat on this quarterback situation. We'd have a much better idea on, you know, the corner battle, the safety battle, um, all the other battles on this roster that are going on. And yet here we are, we're three and a half weeks away from the season. And I mean, to be completely blunt about it, we don't know anything about this team. We don't know anything about any team in the NFL right now, just because things are so new and so fresh where, it's kind of at that point for me, and maybe maybe you agree, maybe you disagree, but it's kind of at the point for me where I feel like a lot of teams are going to be going into this season, uh, at least for the first probably two or three weeks of this year, really trying to figure things out, which puts that much more importance on teams getting off to a good start because if you can play well in those first two or three weeks of the season, you can go two and one, you know, or three and zero in those first three weeks of the season, I think that's going to be a big advantage versus some of these other teams that maybe have more to iron out.
2: Yeah. And, you know, talking to some of the players, we've had a couple of interviews that's actually been brought up as, you know, how are you going to ramp up in this period? You're, you're, you're three weeks away from the start of the season. Is anything going to be different? And I think you know there will be some differences, obviously, but we also have to remember, I mean, the Bears aren't the only team that's kind of going through this right now. Every team's going through it where every team's in its unusual off season and, and preparing and maybe, you know, taking as it goes and, and maybe slowing down the workouts a little bit. But I think it's going to be, you know, those first three weeks will be a little sloppy and a little slow uh, as teams kind of find their groove. Typically, you know, you might get a couple games in week one where it's, you know, pretty boring and the offense is kind of stink. Maybe it spills out into week two, but I think this could go week one, week two, week three, and possibly week four. And if you start off 0 and 4 and you're not looking good, you're slow and all that stuff, I mean, that could put a real big dent into your playoff chances uh, as the season goes on. But we're here to talk a little bit more about training camp. We finally have some stuff to talk about, um, you know, as a team gets back on the field. And we've heard from Matt Nagy, we've heard from a couple players, we've heard from the assistants, and there's a lot of storylines to get into. So we're going to cover all of that in this episode um, as, as training camp continues. Before we do that, let's hit our first break of the show. We'll be right back after this.
1: The Old West is an iconic period of American history. I'm Chris Wimmer. Join me on the Legends of the Old West podcast to hear the true stories of lawmen like Wyatt Earp, Bass Reeves, and the Texas Rangers, outlaws like Jesse James and Butch and Sundance, and Native American battles of the Lakota, Comanche, and Apache. We use cinematic storytelling and sound design to bring these stories and many more to life. Subscribe for free on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you're listening now.
2: Welcome back in here to the Bearport podcast. Yes, Aaron, uh, they're on the field. The Bears are doing on the field stuff this week. And they've suffered their first major injury of training camp as uh, former first round pick of the Pittsburgh Steelers, Artie Burns, who signed a one year deal with the Bears in the offseason, suffered a torn ACL in his left knee. And uh, per Adam Schefter, he's done for the year. Now, this is significant. For me, because of the depth, I didn't think Burns would win the starting job. He was with the first team on Monday, getting reps. Um, he really, for me, didn't really stand out, but he didn't do anything that you know made me think that he's really, really bad or you know anything like that. But let's be honest, it's probably going to be Kevin Tolliver as a starter. Jalen Johnson still has a shot, but now with the Burns injury, you know the Bears are a little, you know, a little thin maybe um, in that competition for the starting spot. They have a lot of defensive backs. Uh, including Buster Screen and Kyle Fuller, who are going to be starters. They have Duke Shelley and uh, Kendall Wilder. But for me, I'm looking at this as, okay, There, it's a death loss here. And now maybe the Bears maybe bring in a veteran to kind of compete. But as it stands now, it's between Kevin Tolliver and Jalen Johnson.
3: Well, you know, and it's it's funny to me because – You know, Schefter and a few other people tweeted out yesterday when Burns had tore his ACL that this was, like, some huge hit to the Bears in terms of, like, Burns is going to be the starter. Burns is never going to be the starter. I don't know where this narrative came from from the national media. Burns is never going to be the starter. I don't – I just – I don't really know how else to put it. They signed him to a veteran minimum deal. They already had Kevin Tolliver. And then they went out after they signed Artie Burns, and they went out and they drafted Jalen Johnson in the second round. It just – Here's the reality that the the main battle was always going to be between Kevin Tolliver and Jalen Johnson or whatever, if you want to say Artie Burns and and Jalen Johnson, but Jalen Johnson is the guy that they want starting and probably needs to be starting at this point. I think obviously it's a depth hit. Um, I, I don't know that he was a for sure guy to make the team. I think that his chances drastically improved when Trey Roberson went down for the year. Um, but now you're in a situation where obviously you're looking at this and you're saying, okay, you know, depth has taken a little bit of a hit. Um, A guy that could have possibly made the team is obviously no longer going to make the team. I mean, they could go out and they could sign a veteran uh, or this could be the type of break that maybe Sherrick McManus needed to essentially make the roster. I think the other thing to keep in mind with this situation, and it wouldn't surprise me if they do this is buster screen is a very well rounded corner. I, I think a lot of people tend to, group him in as just a nickel corner, but he can play the outside. He played on the boundary for quite a while between the jets and uh, when he was with the Browns as well. I mean, he, he has the ability to be versatile and I, you know, I didn't like the move last year when they signed screen, but I actually thought screen was their most consistent corner last year. And granted he's not great by any means, but I think you can do a lot worse. Let's just say Jalen Johnson's shoulder is still an issue. And they're not really comfortable. And let's just say they're not comfortable with Kevin Tolliver. Then, you know, you in, in certain situations, you when you have two corners out there, then you have all of a sudden you're going to have a situation where screen's going to be playing the boundary. And when you need a nickel, you can either move the screen back in uh, inside or you can simply leave him outside and go with either a guy like Vildor or you can go with a guy like um, um, Duke Shelley. I mean, there's there's multiple avenues that they have to be able to get around this. Uh, but ultimately like I said I mean it's just the situation is simple Uh, Jalen Johnson is the guy that they need starting and that they want starting I think they were hoping to have him you know kind of come along a little slower I mean he's been he's still healing from the surgery and kind of getting up to speed but I think that this really just kind of puts a focus in on the fact that he is going to be the starter sooner rather than later and I think he'll end up being the starter for week one um the other thing, and I'm kind of curious to get your take on this because I've kind of talked to, with a few people about this, and this is kind of something that's gone through my mind is why was Artie Burns taking the you know the the top snaps in terms of you know w- within that competition? Why wasn't it Kevin Tolliver who's going in this third year? Does that? I guess that's kind of my question. I know Ryan Pace said that or Matt Nagy said that you know he's a he's a former first round pick, but we. I mean, anybody who saw him with, with the Steelers knows that he's not very good. Uh, He, he obviously has a talent else he wouldn't have been taken in the first round, but what does this say about Kevin Tolliver? What does this say about how they view Kevin Tolliver? If he's been there the longest and should have the best uh, overall, you know, understanding of the scheme and what they're asking of him. He started a few games last year. What does that say about Kevin Tolliver that Artie Burns who was a busted, you know, busted first-round pick and basically was signed to a veteran minimum deal, not even guaranteed a roster spot, and the fact that Burns was getting snaps with the first team over a guy like Kevin Tolliver. I think that's the more concerning point to me at this point is that you're looking at it and you're saying, well, why isn't Kevin Tolliver, the third-year you know, third guy who's been in the system, why isn't he getting these snaps, and why aren't they comfortable relying on him if Jalen Johnson can't go? Yeah,
2: that's a good point because Burns was out there taking you know, first team snaps for pretty much all of practice while Johnson was out there a little bit and uh, Kevin Tolliver was mainly working with the second team. I think that would be more of a bigger story, more of a bigger telling tale if it was happening Tuesday and if he didn't get hurt and it was happening tomorrow at practice um, into the weekend. I think it was kind of just one of those situations where the Bears have got to look at Tolliver. They've already seen what he can do. Um, let's give Artie Burns this day, you know, the first day of camp, let's give him the first team reps, uh, see how he is, maybe let him build some momentum. I still think it's going to be Tolliver just because he's familiar with the defense and it's been in the system. He actually was looked pretty solid last year when he came in. Um, I I wouldn't make too much of it. I think, you know, you have a good point when the national media kind of made it seem like, Oh, Artie Burns is going to be the starter. I think they saw that he was working with the first team and kind of ran with that as maybe did some fans. I would say it, it really, to me, wasn't that big of a deal. I did note it, did write it down. But I think it was, maybe it was one of those situations where, like I said, they wanted to give Tolliver that one day – or not Tolliver, I'm sorry, Artie Burns that day to kind of come in and prove himself on the on-field stuff while they know Tolliver might be ahead of him on the depth chart. Because there was – I mean, there was other people out there too. You know, for example um, – You know, I know Robert Quinn wasn't there during personal reasons, but Barcavius Mingo got a lot of the uh, starting snaps opposite of Cleo Mack, and there was packages where Cleo Mack wasn't even on the field with the first team. You know, stuff like that. I mean, technically those aren't, like, packages you're going to see in the game, but it's just to get other guys reps. And I go back to a quote um, today. I forgot who wrote it, who said it. Um, it One of the assistant coaches, they said it's just the time is so crunched right now that they're kind of subbing guys in and out almost every play just to get them reps, you know, whether it's first-team guys with the second-team, second-team guys with the first-team, even third-team guys coming up to the second-team, things like that. So I wouldn't make too much of a big deal out of that. I still think, you know, if Burns wasn't hurt, I think it would have been Tolliver probably getting the first-team reps through the weekend. Now, the other part of this defensive-back competition is – you know, Jalen Johnson's been on the field, but it's been a little sparingly, sparingly. We found out in the early stages of this camp when they were doing walkthroughs, um, I want to say it was Matt Nagy said that, uh, or is it Nagy or Pagano said that they are kind of bringing Jalen Johnson along slowly. Um, he had that shoulder injury, he had surgery, so he's still kind of rehabbing it. And then today, on Wednesday, we got to talk to Pagano. He, he reiterated that. He said, yeah, we're going to kind of bring him back at his own pace Um, kind of get them, you know, into the flow of things as the week goes on or as the weeks go on. So what that tells me is I think we're leaning towards seeing Kevin Tolliver be that week one starter in Detroit and eventually Jalen Johnson kind of slides into that spot and takes over.
3: You could be right. I mean, you definitely could be right. It's going to be very interesting. Like you said, I mean, it's, it's one thing for people who aren't there, like myself, like every fan right now, where it's you, you you almost seem to focus too much on reading your guys's reports and you know drawing too much from that now with that being said uh what the heck is going on with the safety position i, I i'm honestly like i am shocked like i know that the the team said that there was going to be an open competition between bush and gibson But it sure sounds like there's an open competition there, and it sounds like they're giving Bush more of the opportunity, at least in the early going, to get in there with the first team and win this job.
2: Yeah, and, you know, the thing kind of is, you know, I've said it, and I think you've said it as well on this podcast, we both expect Tayshaun Gibson to be the starter. I think, you know, and no offense to us, I don't think we did a good enough job of reading into, you know, in between the lines. We kind of should have seen this coming. I mean, Chuck Pagano has kind of praised Deion Bush this entire off season. Same with um, Sean Desai, the safeties coach. They've had nothing but good things to say about Dion Bush. And I'm kind of like kicking myself because I should have kind of seen it coming as well that, you know, maybe Bush it, it does have a legit shot. And as of now, he has been the number one safety, um, at least Monday. And then from what I've told he was number one on Tuesday as well. This isn't a thing where it's kind of alternating day by day now we will see Gibson with the first team eventually. And it, and it actually, well, it did happen a little bit on Monday, limited snaps. But, I mean, the Bears really like Dion Bush, and and they've seen him make some stride this offseason. Eddie Jackson had a good quote and said, the game kind of, you know, slowed down a little bit for him. He's kind of recognizing things and seeing things um, a, a little more where maybe the first couple of years that Jackson was there, Bush was kind of just, you know, not freestyling. I don't want to use the word freestyling, but not really – taking in everything and and knowing what spot to be in when he was in the games, but I got to give it to Bush. I mean, he's, he's worked hard and, you know, I've criticized him for not really being a great safety. Um, Obviously I I still think Adrian Amos is better than him. I'd probably take Clinton Dix, but from the sounds of it, he's made some good strides. And I will say he did have a really good day on Monday when I was there. He, I mean, he went over the, the pass wasn't great. The decision wasn't great for Mitchell Trubisky. I throw it over the middle but Dion Bush broke on that ball, and he was there in a hurry, and probably should have picked it off. And there was a collision with him and another defensive back, and I want to say the receiver was Allen Robinson. But I mean, Bush made a good break on it, so I think Bush is legit has a shot to win it. And now, you know, if you would have asked me this probably three weeks ago, four weeks ago, I would have been shocked if he would have told me that Deion Bush would have been the starter would be the starter. Now I'm like, okay, I can kind of you know see this happening.
3: Well, and it's it's one of those things. It's like you pointed out, right? It, it's kind of one of those we both overlooked it. I mean, me more than you. I mean, let's just be honest here. I mean, I completely dismissed. I laughed at it. I I, I mean, I what, it was a podcast or two ago. I basically said that this wasn't a competition. Gibson was going to be the starter. But, I mean, you're right. When you go back and you look at even going back to the Fangio era when I think it was Adrian Amos's, it was actually his contract year uh, the bears wanted to see what Bush had, like the, the bears wanted to have a competition and I just don't think that Bush was ready, but I mean, like you pointed out, I mean, there's been a lot of praise from Pagano about Bush and you know, it, it would very much be a bears thing where Dion Bush really hasn't done anything for four seasons. And then all of a sudden he signs this one year, you know, vet minimum deal to come back to the bears, after he gets basically zero interest from the rest of the league and he's going to go out there and pull a Nick Kwakowski or an Adrian Amos and he's going to go out there and he's going to, you know, play really well. And then he's going to end up getting paid seven, eight, $9 million this year. I mean, it definitely could happen. And I hope it does because it absolutely benefits the bears because you know, the bears aren't going to be able to spend that kind of money. But it, to me, I, my bigger question is, I'm kind of curious if Gibson would have even signed with the Bears if he knew that not only this was going to be a competition, but like you pointed out, I mean, Bush has been taking the majority of the first-team snaps. Again, two practices, it's early. You know, you try not to overreact, but to me, so far, when you judge – everything else that's been going on and especially you talk, you know, we have not even dived into the quarterback situation where you have Trubisky got the, the first team snaps or he was a, he, more of the point. He was the first quarterback on the field and practice one and then practice two fulls was the first guy they've been rotating. You know, that's a true competition versus what you're looking at with the safety position right now, where Bush has got, you know, the first team snaps and has been the, you know, the first starting safety on the field alongside a Jackson both days that to me, at least the optics of that, doesn't seem like an open competition so it kind of makes me wonder if Gibson would have even signed with the Bears because I'm sure he had other interests if he'd even signed with the Bears knowing that not only was he going to be in a true competition but it looks like he's kind of the one starting from below and he's going to have to be the one that wins that job
2: yeah and you know I won't say the competition's over but I mean I'd have to lean towards Bush being the starter right now just from what I've seen now obviously that could change and you know the Bears might have plans to change that The other thing is to note, I mean, Gibson himself said it. There's this whole thought that the Bears need, you know, a true box safety. They need, um, you know, a perfect complement to Eddie Jackson. I think that's why, you know, a lot of people liked Adrian Amos so much because he kind of did play that strong safety in the box. Bush is not really that strong safety that's going to come up and, and, you know, tackle someone like – I mean, come on, when, we, when they play Tennessee, is he really going to come up in the box and, and, and face Derrick Henry one-on-one? Um, I don't really see that. So, yeah, there there is this theory that, you know, now that safeties have to be kind of interchangeable, and maybe that's what the Bears are kind of taking into consideration. They might have to play Eddie Jackson more closer to the box, um, you know, than fans would like them to, or, or even that they would like to, uh, similar to what we saw last season, because how Clinton Dix wasn't a traditional strong safety I just don't think they have that traditional strong safety on their roster. You know, even with Gibson, he's played a lot more uh, free safety in his career than he has strong safety. So that'd be kind of interesting to watch as well. I think, you know, this is kind of a pleasant surprise because like you said, you and I, I mean, we both pretty much wrote the competition is over. Um, and I think we would even have it as a competition. I think it was just here. Gibson's going to win the job. This is his. So I mean, now we have another position battle to kind of break down and go through here in camp. So, yeah, I'll be curious to see how it kind of plays out. And I'll I'll keep my eyes out tomorrow and the rest of the weekend if I'm there that, you know, exactly what happens and and who's with who. You know, maybe, I, I don't know, Gibson didn't really have any major, you know, I didn't really hear of a major injury still you know, overcoming, I don't know, maybe they could be kind of working him in. He's newer to the defense. That could also play a factor into it that, you know, maybe he's not ready with the playbook just yet. And they kind of want to ease him in and bring him in with the, uh, the um, second team as we go along. So that'll be something to watch. The other thing I kind of want to get your thoughts on, Aaron, and I, I think this is something we can kind of talk about, even if, you know, for those who aren't at training camp. But one of the things that I noticed, and, and it's been talked about, I think Matt Nagy said it on Tuesday, These first two practices, there's been a lot of drops by the wide receivers and a couple botched snaps by uh, Cody Whitehair and the other centers.
3: Well, I mean, it's really weird because if you go back to 2018 when the Bears went 12-4 and and Trubisky clearly had his best season, they had one of, if not the lowest drop rate in the entire league with mainly the same exact receivers as what they had in 2019. Obviously, Taylor Gabriel's gone now. Um, you know, and you know, you, you bring Ted Gannon, who uh, he's not exactly known for being the most sure handed guy at all times. Um, but it, it what's confusing is outside in Gabriel, don't get me wrong, Gabriel was very sure handed, except he had like what one or two games when it was like, what are you doing? But for the most part, I mean, he's always been a very sure handed receiver. But I mean, outside of that one, you know, that one blip there, these are the same exact receivers going on three years in a row. I, I don't understand how this has become an issue and why it's continuing to be an issue. And I know Matt Nagy's kind of downplayed it a little bit and basically said, you know, they're working in, you know, they're working up to everything and this is kind of expected in the first few days, things going to be sloppy and maybe he's right. But going back to last year, and how many drops. I mean, for as bad as Trubisky was last year, he was not helped out in the least on multiple occasions by drops. And that's something especially – I mean, we haven't got to the quarterback situation yet. And that is something that if this offense is really going to take off and it's really – you know, the quarterback situation is truly going to improve, the receivers and tight ends have to catch the ball. And that's just – I don't – I just don't understand what changed so much when you're talking about – I mean, I guess if you look at the tight end situation, uh, they're basically going to have – you know, looking from 2018 to now, I mean, they're going to have brand new names on the field from what they had. Cause I mean, before it was Shaheen, Burton, Broniker, uh, you know, so on and so forth. And now you've got a situation where you're going to have Jimmy Graham and Cole Komet are going to be your top two guys. And then, uh, you know, you got Demetrius Harris in there and you got Jesper Horstead and JP Holtz that are also buying for, for time. But I, I think the main focus right now, at least from what I saw last year was mainly the receivers having the drop issues and, I just, I mean, obviously it's a concern because you can't get the most out of your quarterback play if your receivers are constantly dropping the ball. And when your quarterback's struggling and your receivers are dropping the ball, that makes things even worse. I mean, it's just you're fighting against the current at that point if if the receivers aren't doing their job. I I don't know if it's something to get overly concerned about yet, but it's one of those things that due to recency bias looking at last year – it's definitely something that needs to vastly improve if this offense and the quarterback play is going to vastly improve. I I just don't think there's any other way around it.
2: Yeah, I mean, it is the first couple days of practice. You know, last week was actually the first time the wide receivers and and quarterbacks could throw, you know, one-on-one drills without defensive backs. So, I mean, we'll give a couple days here. But, I mean, we're going into next week, and, you know, they're essentially dropping a lot of passes. Snaps aren't good. I think it's a major concern, cause for concern there. I do want to talk about one tight end, though, that's having a big camp. Before we do that, though, let's hit our second break of the show, and we'll come in and break down uh, veteran tight end Jimmy Graham. We're back here on the Bear Report podcast, and uh, Aaron, as I teased before, we went into the break there. Uh, Jimmy Graham has been a standout. The veteran's kind of finding his groove here in the first two practices. Had a solid day one on Monday. Had a really big day two on Tuesday, working with both Mitch Trubisky and Nick Foles, caught a couple passes, and was flat out dominant in the red zone. And that's what I like to hear and see because the Bears are going to bring in Jimmy Graham to be that primary pass-catching tight end. Demetrius Harris is going to be your primary blocking tight end, and essentially Cole Komet's going to you know play a a mixture of both. You know when Graham's in the game, um, Komet will be the blocking tight end. When Harris is in the game, they'll, they'll work to, uh, Komet in a little more as the pass-catching tight end. You know, seeing that and hearing what happened that one on one drill um, in the red zone, it, it sounded like Jimmy Graham just flat out dominated and can be that big red zone target that the Bears really need on this offense. You know, after the practice, Nick Foles praised him, you know, said not many people could win one on ones against uh, Eddie ja- or against Jimmy Graham. And from what I heard, it was very competitive down there. I mean, Eddie Jackson was begging to get in there, the defensive backs were begging to go up against the wide receivers. And they also have a championship belt for the winner of the day on the, on the one-on-ones. So, yeah, I liked what I've seen from Graham so far. I think it was a sign that a lot of people had a problem with just because of the money and, and who, you know, essentially Ryan Pace was bidding against. But to me, looking at this now, I'm feeling a little more comfortable in Graham's role. I don't think he has to come out and be a 800-yard tight end, you know, receiving tight end and catch 10 touchdowns. But if they can use him in a role where he's comfortable, a spot where he's comfortable as a pass-catching tight end, They open up some things for other wide receivers where defenses have to account for Graham. You know, last season, defenses really didn't have to account for Bears' tight ends because none of them were really a threat out there. So to have that piece in your offense, you know, it's early, but he sure as heck looks like a big upgrade from Adam Shaheen. Uh, and I think he's going to be a, uh, an upgrade over Trey Burton from what we've seen uh, over the past couple of years with Burton.
3: Outside of the quarterback uh, troubles last year versus 2018, I mean, the biggest difference on offense that they had was the tight end production. I mean, you you had Trey Burton. Um, you, you were getting good production in 2018 out of your tight ends. And any time that offense struggled, including, uh, you know, even looking into the playoff game against the Eagles, one of the main issues that they had throughout that entire game was Trey Burton was gone. And you look at that and then you look at last year where they had a revolving door of guys that, I mean, let's just be honest. I mean, a lot of these dudes weren't even on the roster week one. I mean, he had Jesper Horsted, who was on the practice squad. JP Holtz wasn't even picked up until after week one. And then you look at this year and you've got Jimmy Graham, who, again, I mean, and I've said it and I'll say it again. I think the contract was terrible. I don't know what Ryan Pace was thinking. Uh, The the player himself, Jimmy Graham, I think, okay, cool. Like he's a solid veteran. He's getting towards the end of his career. This is a one-year deal with basically an option for a second year if he pans out, Um, you know, and then obviously they went out and they, they drafted Cole Komet, who's also getting a lot of hype in training camp so far I mean, that would be absolutely fantastic when you're looking at it, and especially with Jimmy Graham, because Jimmy Graham is going to be your why. He's going to be the guy that is going to be your pass catcher. He's going to be the one that opens up things for Tariq Cohen, who's another guy who had a really rough year last year, and a lot of that was tied to the lack of tight end production. Again, I mean, everything, especially when you look at Andy Reid offenses and you look at what Matt Nagy is trying to do on offense, there's certain things – have to work within the offense for everything to run a certain way and simply put that didn't happen last year quarterback play offensive line the run game uh, you know the the tight ends basically taking pressure off guys like Tariq Cohen and and Patterson to be able to kind of you know uh, you know make that gimmick um, more of a reality and more of a weapon and you know having that be a factor this year is going to be huge because not only can you line Jimmy Graham up as, you know, the why, but you can also put him out wide as more of a, just a really big receiver, you know, a, a guy in the slot, if you want to, you know, it doesn't really matter. I mean, you can, he's still a good pass catcher. I mean, really the biggest thing is, I think he was a little misused in green Bay, but I mean, he's just getting older. He's not the same athletic freak that he was when he was in his prime with new Orleans, when he was with his prime, you know, in his prime in, in Seattle, I mean, those years are far removed, but at the same time, he still has ability. He can still be a good red zone threat. And so, I mean, obviously that's another key factor for the Bears offense because if you get those tight ends going between Cole Komet and Jimmy Graham, I mean, if you get that going, even in Demetrius Harris, I mean, he's going to have a decent role too, because he's familiar with this offense. He's not great by any means, but I do think that in this type of offense, he does have some value, especially at the, you know, the minimal contract that they signed him at, but I think the you know the big key is one of the big keys for this offense is getting production out of the tight end uh, group, and really it's not going to be hard to eclipse what they did last year in terms of overall production from that tight end group versus what Jimmy Graham alone did. I mean, he had more production than the entire Bears tight ends did all of last year, and then you mixed Cole in there and. And, you know, even like a J.P. Holtz or a Jesper Horstead that can come in on occasion and kind of play different roles. I mean, that's huge. And it's really nice. I mean, that's the one thing, like, if you really want to focus on some positive. And that's not to say that there's been a lot of negative coming through camp. I mean, it's just typical. I mean, through two days of practice, things have been up and down. I mean, these guys haven't done any sort of football activity more than a normal offseason coming into camp. They have not done any sort of physical football activity in months. So, you know, there's not a lot of negative coming out, but it, when you look at the positives and you look at some of the developments that are going on, I think the tight end position as a whole, I mean, with the reports of Jimmy Graham just absolutely dominating camp so far, there's been a lot of, uh, you know, a lot of good things said about Cole Komet. Uh, I mean, and obviously you can attest better than, than I can just looking at a picture, but Cole Komet looks like he is built for the NFL. He doesn't look like Adam Shaheen where Adam Shaheen was a big dude with no tone, and he was just kind of there. I mean, Cole Komet looks like a dude that you would not want to tackle or you would not want to have blocking. He looks like he's built very well. And, I mean, I think that's, that's going to be key because the Bears went out and they spent a second-round pick on a tight end in a pretty weak draft class. I mean, let's just be honest. I mean, if Komet ends up turning into Kyle Rudolph, I mean, that's a huge win, especially in the second round. But hearing how well the tight ends have played so far um, and how good they've looked – is huge regardless of what what the quarterback situation turns into it's absolutely huge for the bears.
2: Yeah I I agree with that. I mean getting that production from Jimmy Graham would be huge and getting production from Cole Komet and Demetrius Harris will be even bigger because you know let's let's face it this offense it needs a good tight end it needs a good wide tight end it needs a good U tight end. You look at you know Kansas City they have Travis Kelsey one of the best tight ends in football San Francisco, George Kittle, the Eagles have, you know, Zach Ertz, all kind of sim- similar schemes. And the Bears really don't have that yet. And the hope is, you know, maybe you don't need a Zach Ertz or a Travis Kelsey or, or, or a um, George Kittle. You'd like one of them. But if you have that collaborative effort with those three guys in Harris and Komet and Graham, and they could put up big, big numbers and, and have production, the Bears will take that. That's going to be a big win for them, especially after what happened last season. Yeah, I think um, looking at Cole Komet so far, I've been impressed. He did have a blunder in Monday was practice where he kind of um, had a false start and his teammates got on him and he understood. I mean, he put his hand up and and that was on him. He knew that was on him. He's a smart guy. He understands the game of football. You know, I think for a lot of players, the game needs to slow down from, and that takes time. I think Cole Komet, the game is already slowing down From He's already at a stage where it's, it's slowed down enough where you know he can make an impact. He gets it. I mean, Matt Nagy's raved about this kid in the film room all offseason and how he can barely stump him and, and how Komet pretty much knows everything and knows where he already needs to be and things like that. He's a smart guy. He went to Notre Dame. So, yeah, I'm pleased with what I've seen from the tight ends. I'm also pleased. I, I like this, how the offensive line has changed and the approach for the offensive line has changed. I love Juan Castillo. I've seen him one day out there, and I love how he coaches. He's loud. He gets on guys. He's not going to let you, you know, have it easy or anything like that. And they talked about it a little today, but what happens is practices usually start, you know, 9 30. The offensive line is out there 9 a.m., and they're doing a drill where it's kind of like a blocking sled, but the pad is up high, so you kind of have to elevate your arms a little bit. And there's one guy barking out the orders. They go in shifts. There's, you know, five guys on a shift, three shifts, whatever that is. There's one guy barking out the orders. And it's not Juan Castillo. It's Cody White here who has kind of taken this leadership role as the guy um, in the offense on the offensive line unit where he's the leader. He, he's, he's the guy that everyone's going to look up to. So I was pleased to see that. And then when they're done with that, they do a little footwork. And, again, Whitehair's the one calling out, you know, which way to go and left, right, and, and, and they kind of work in their individual units there. But watching Juan Castillo coach so far has been an absolute treat. He's been great in interviews, but coaching has been great. And he got on the two rookies, Javius Simmons and, and Arlington Hambright, for mistakes they made, and he got on them. He let them know. I mean, there was an F-bomb or two drops, and it was unacceptable what they did. I didn't see what, how they messed up or anything in a drill – he made sure that the, the media knew that he was getting on his guys. So I think we should expect a little bit of a bounce back from this offensive line. I've liked what I've seen so far. I, you know It's tough because they're going up against you know Khalil Mack, and they're going to be going up against Robert Quinn in, in, the, in the front seven with Akeem Hicks and Bilal Nichols. That's not easy. It's hard to judge that in practice because you expect that defense to get pressure. If the defense doesn't get pressure – you know what happens? You're not going to say, "Oh, the offensive line is doing a great job." If Cleo Max isn't getting pressure, Cleo Max gets the blame. If Akeem Hicks isn't getting pressure, Akeem Hicks is going to get the blame. There's not going to be credit given to the offensive line. So I think it's tough in that aspect to kind of grade them. You know, going up against that front seven, and, and you know they're not also either fully rushing and trying to get into the backfield. But so far, I, I like it from that aspect. I like what I've seen from the offensive line.
3: Well, and again, I mean, we're 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 hitting on all these topics, right? Where you where the offense needs to improve because offense is the issue. I mean, the defense is still going to be at a championship caliber, barring something crazy unforeseen. I mean, that's just the reality. So. When you're looking at the offense, I mean, we've talked about the drops. We've talked about the tight ends. You know, we're we're talking about the offensive line now. And the offensive line is obviously big. If anything, I I don't think the pass protection was nearly as bad as some people made it out to be last year because I think Trubisky – shared quite a bit of blame and a lot of the sacks and a lot of the things that were going on. But there's no denying that their running scheme, blocking scheme for the run in general was just not very good. And it was something that needed to change, which is why we saw a change at offensive coordinator. And it's why we saw a change on the offensive line in terms of the coach because the it just really what it comes down to is Matt Nagy went out of his way to pull a guy like Harry stand from Notre Dame, who's produced a lot of NFL talent, a lot of top quality NFL talent. And it simply didn't work with what he was trying to do. And the same exact thing with going out and getting an, you know, a former offensive uh, or former college head coach as your offensive coordinator and kind of going a little bit away from that Andy Reid-esque tree. And now he comes back and he says, okay, we're going to bring in Bill Lazor. We're going to bring in Juan Castillo. We're going to have some ties here. We're going to, you know, we're all going to be on the same page. We're going to have the same philosophies. And, you know, people have looked at Castillo. I didn't think Castillo was like the greatest hire in the world, but it definitely made a ton of sense. And I thought it was a good hire just simply based on the fact that there was familiarity there and there was history there. And I think that's big, especially when you're talking about Andy Reid, Uh, you know, coaching disciples and and, and the different things that go on just because Andy Reid runs a very, very unique type of offense that requires a lot of detail to attention. And if you look at what he does with his coaches, he brings all of his guys up his own way. And I think that's kind of the key um, where you kind of see that with Doug Peterson, where he's gone with that same bloodline in terms of coaches. And then Matt Nagy was kind of the one that went a little bit away from that. And now he's getting back to that. And, I mean, it's just – it's it's very key, especially when you're looking at the run scheme because Harry Heestand last year uh, and Mark Helfrich were the guys that were scheming the run. They were the ones in charge of the run. Uh, they did a terrible job two years in a row. I mean, there's, there's really no other way to put it, and that's obviously not taking away blame from Matt Nagy because it's still Matt Nagy's team and still his offense, but obviously that wasn't a good mix. So now you bring in Bill Lazor. Now you bring in John DeFilippo as a, as a quarterback's coach and Juan Castillo. And you really get back to the basics of what an Andy Reid offense is supposed to be, what Matt Nagy wants his offense to be with the zone schemes, whether that's an inside zone attack or if they go, you know, like mainly what Kansas City does or if they want to go an outside zone with what Philadelphia does. It's completely – You know, up to uh, up to them, and I think part of it's going to depend on you know what they end up doing at quarterback as well, because I think that the the two run schemes, I think you're going to want to go more inside zone with a guy like Trubisky, where he has more athleticism, versus maybe somebody like Nick Foles, where you're going to want to go a little bit more outside zone because you're not going to be doing as many zone reads, and you're not going to have him running running the ball as a quarterback as much, but. I mean, it's good to hear. It's good to hear, especially with the offensive line aspect, that Juan Castillo is, is having an impact. Um, I think he actually singled out, and correct me if I'm wrong, but I think he singled out Jermaine Effetti today for his play at right guard. It sounds like, and again, it's still early. Try not to overreact, but I think Jermaine Effetti, and I think we've both felt this for a while, he's going to be your starting right guard. He he was a former first-round pick. He busted out tackle. Okay, that's fine. But, you know, he was always – coming out of Texas A&M, he was always projected more as a guard on most people's boards, including myself. So it's one of those situations where you move him inside and you let him do his work. And, again, he's another one of those guys where he's still young. He's still only in his fifth year. If he has a big year, all of a sudden, you know, he's going to go off and sign a big deal somewhere else. And then all of a sudden you've kind of got the development back and you've got more cohesiveness on the offensive line. So, I mean, it's definitely great to hear. Um, You know, it's – it's There's so many facets of this offense that need to improve that any improvement you're seeing, whether that's a tight ends, whether that's a drop situation, whether that's the offensive line, uh, or again, another situation that you know, we're, we're, we, I'm sure a lot of people have been kind of wanting to know what your thoughts have been on it, obviously the quarterback situation. I mean, that is the biggest key to this offense, but if you improve the things around it. Um, then you're going to get a better pro- product regardless of what happens at the quarterback position. Cause I think we're going to both agree in saying that I don't think things could get much worse than they were last year. Maybe I'm wrong. I mean, you, you watched the first day, um, you know, what, I guess that's probably the last thing we really need to dive into and probably what everybody's been waiting on is, you know, what is actually going on in the quarterback competition now that there's a real competition going on.
2: Yeah, for sure. Um, I would definitely like to offer my thoughts. Let's actually, let's do our final break and we'll close out the show at that. Does that sound good?
3: Yeah, works for me. Let's
2: let's do that. We'll hit our final break. We'll be right back after this. Yeah, Aaron, uh, as I said right before the break, I would like to get in the quarterback um, discussion because it's not a Bear Report podcast episode unless we talk about the quarterback race. Um, Yeah, being there Monday and, and kind of hearing from other reporters what happened Tuesday, what I think of the quarterback competition is I think neither quarterback have done enough yet where I can say that one has the advantage on the field. Um, you know, I think they both kind of struggled on Monday missing a couple of throws. Um, you know, maybe Foles maybe missed one or two throws less than Trubisky. Um, but like, you know, watching Foles, watching Trubisky for me, it, it wasn't like, Oh man, one of the, okay, these, these guys are good. We're just real good competition. It was kind of just like okay, they're kind of the same quarterback almost. Um, you know, they neither have done anything that's really impressive. They're not sharp hitting, you know, dimes down the field. They're not ex, you know extending the field, stuff like that. Um, granted, they weren't going full speed. I mean, Trubisky did get the, the the work with the ones first, but Foles got the work with the ones on Tuesday. They're just going to alternate. Um, yeah, I, it's, it's just hard through two days, it, you know, it's hard to kind of handicap this race right now. I will say, you know, I, I liked the throw. They did have a couple of deep balls. I liked the one that Trubisky threw down the sideline was to commit. Um, watching it live. I thought Roquan was really good in coverage on commit down the sideline. And I thought he might've got a hand in it or break it up. It kind of looked like commit just dropped the pass. Going back and seeing it. it, just kind of looked like he dropped the pass. Um, so yeah, I, I thought that was a good ball by Trubisky. Uh, Foles had a really good one on a wheel route out of the backfield that went for kind of a touch, one for a touchdown. And uh, on Monday, and from what I've heard, on Tuesday in the red zone, I, I heard both quarterbacks were pretty good. I, I think Trubisky had the better day on Tuesday. I would say Foles probably hit him the edge on Monday, but overall, I mean, like I said, it's not there's. No quarterback has established himself as a true leader, which is something you want as a Bears fan. You want this competition to end now. You want one of them to come out and dominate practices and make the decision easy on Matt Nagy. I don't think we're at that point right now. I think for Trubisky, you know, he's kind of got to have really bad training camp and Foles has to have a really good one for him, to, for Foles to win the job. My thing is with Foles, listening to the coaches talk today, it sure as heck sounds like they might be leaning nick Foles. the the one quote and the one um, thing that they said it and it was uh, you know john de filippo praised him about the uh, how Foles' you know his poise and his concentration how dialed in he is but there was a quote out there and i'm try, I'm, I'm i'm totally blanking who said it today um, but it was essentially it was john de
3: filippo i know exactly DeFilippo. what you're talking about you're okay. talking about the whole uh, the point guard
2: yeah. Okay. So it was the oh, flip. Right. Yeah. And I should have known that cause I actually had to do that damn tran, uh, transcription today. So yeah, it's the point guard. And, and he said, you know, he's just so locked in and focused out there that, you know, he could be a basketball point guard for how he just opens things up and, and how he runs things and how smooth he is. And, and you know, he talked about what makes him so good in the, in the, in the zone reads. And it was just a fascinating, you know, just a fascinating to listen to Filippo say that stuff because you know essentially he was breaking down well for us zone reads are you know it's, it's not always speed or anything like that a lot of people like to see him in college and think it's all speed no it's about you know not having all 11 defenders out there not having to worry about blocking this guy you know stuff like that and the part of the quote I like to say is he processes information at an unbelievable speed and that was John Filippo on Nick Foles why he's so good at zone reads and how he could be a point guard. And it, that was just telling me that I think the staff might be leaning towards foals in that area off the field in this competition.
3: Well, one of the things that they talked about, and they've talked about pretty extensively in terms of the coaches and what they're looking for is it's not just getting, this is kind of something we talked about before we started the podcast is, you know, you guys can go out there and you guys can watch, right. And you guys can see the throws that are being made, the throws that are being missed in terms of ball placement and stuff like that. But there's so many little elements to what the bears are doing in terms of play calling the different things that they're looking for that nobody can simply know it. I mean, outside of the coaching staff, nobody's simply going to know what else they're looking for and how much heavily graded that's going to be. So you know, on the surface, okay, they've been pretty even the first two days. Maybe one guy took the first day, one guy took the second day, but how are they getting out of the huddle? You know, how, you know, what's, what's the tempo like, you know, what, what's the understanding of the defense, you know, uh, like you said, the whole point guard situation, you know, it's stuff like that where, you know, as much as anybody, even if fans were there, for as much as you can sit there and you can look and you can say, okay, well, you know, this guy looks better than this Guy for this reason, there's so many undetermined things that we don't know. Or I should say uh, more the point unknown things that we don't know what they're what they're actually looking at, how they're evaluating it. And you pointed it out um, right before we started the podcast. Kind of goes back to the kicking situation where you know every single one of the media members pretty much agree that there were you know throughout the different tryouts and the rookie tryouts and the different things that they had that there was, you know, two or three guys that looked the best and ultimately none of them made the team. And it just kind of goes to show there's so many other factors to what these coaches are evaluating, right or wrong. I, you know, maybe they're overthinking it, maybe they're not, but There's so many other factors that have to be taken into consideration and it's stuff that we don't know that we're not going to know. They may tell us at the end, it may be kind of like the kicker thing where, you know, they have X amount of things that they're putting value on. There's certain things that you wouldn't even think to look at that they've taken into account. And those are heavily graded, uh, more than just what meets the eye. And that could be the same thing with the quarterback situation. Now I'll honestly say that listening to, nagy talk and just the coaching staff in general talk and kind of what they're looking for and their assessments overall i personally i i i tend to agree i do think that they are leaning towards Foles, and that's you know but again i'm not you know that's just my personal opinion that's not you know to say that anybody else should believe that at this point because i mean you know it's like these pressers happen and people are asked you know you know these different coaches are asked by the media you know what do you think of Trubisky or you know even the players what do you think of Trubisky and you know what do you think he's done better blah blah and you know everybody takes something different out of it is it's funny and it's one of the things I've been kind of noticing on my timeline right is you see Matt Nagy will say something like he was asked the other day if he felt like Trubisky was a better quarterback this year than last year and he kind of said yeah and then he backtracked and he said well we're not far enough along in the process to really know that yet and some people took it as, well, you know, he just – he's trying to hold back his excitement. He's trying to hold back his true assessment. And he does think Trubisky's better. And then there are other people who, you know, that tend to tend to think, okay, well, he's not getting any better. And by default, you know, they know what they're getting out of Nick Foles. And Nick Foles is going to be the guy. Like every little thing that is said by this coaching staff can be dissected 20 ways. And regardless of where your bias is, whether you know that there's a bias or there's not – Uh, I think that's the way that people are going to lean. You know, I I think the one kind of key thing that I've said on Twitter and I'll say it again, we're three and a half weeks away from the season. Um, Usually teams, if you really think about it, going in the fourth preseason game, going in the final week where you basically have, you know, those two weeks or whatever uh, before the beginning of the season, usually teams are prepping for week one at that point. Obviously we're on a much shorter timeline. Everything's more compact. So and like Nagy said, I mean they're gonna they're gonna take this decision down to the wire, and I think by what they mean by down to the wire is probably a week, week and a half. So I mean if we've got what at this point there's still 13 open practices because there's 15 total, so the 13 open practices left. Uh, you know, I I would say safely, I, I think within the next two weeks probably. You know, I would, I would say probably, you know, and most people are probably going to be listening to this on a Thursday. I would say probably two weeks from Thursday or maybe even Friday, I think the decision is going to have to be made on the quarterback. So and that's kind of something else to keep in mind. I think that's going to go for a lot of these positions where, especially quarterback, because you can't, you can't have this quarterback by committee type approach. But, I mean, whether we like it or not, whether we think it's fair or not, and whether we think it's the right decision or not, um, the decision for the quarterback is going to come sooner rather than later. And the reality of it is is there's probably only about two weeks left of this competition, and it's going to be very interesting if they're not really separating themselves in the eyes of the media and what you can kind of see on the surface. It's going to be interesting to see what their thought process is in terms of how they're evaluating the stuff that we're not paying attention to And also, just in general, what their thought process is in terms of, do you start Trubisky? There's been theories on it. You know, there's been people, there's Michael Lombardi, you know, bless his heart. Basically, he's got every theory in the world on Trubisky. And he said something along the lines of, he thinks if the Bears don't go with Trubisky to start off the season, they're going to completely crush his confidence and they're not going to be able to turn to him in season if Foles plays bad or Foles gets hurt. And then you've got other people, you know, that think, well, you should probably start Trubisky week one because he's been so good against the Lions. And again, this, this is—I'm not discounting any of this. I—it's I mean, just interesting theories overall. But I think the reality of it is, is that if Trubisky's confidence is going to be crushed by him not getting the job out of the gate, uh, you know, what what's to say that he gets a game or two through the season and he sinks it up, and they got to bring in Nick Foles, and then Nick Foles gets hurt halfway through the season, and they're still in contention. He's not just magically going to have his confidence back at that point. I think the, what it's coming down to is if Trubisky's going to lose his confidence, and he had that happen last year. If he's going to lose his confidence, it's going to happen regardless. And really, that's one of the signs that you absolutely do not want that guy as your, you know, as your franchise quarterback. Anyway, now I'm not saying that he's going to. I'm just saying that all these theories that are going on right now, and all these different ways that you can look at things, and. You know, Foles comes off better off the bench, or, you know, do you, do you go with Foles because you brought him in and Trubisky hasn't proved enough, if they're even, there's multiple theories, there's multiple different ways of thinking about it, um, I don't think that is really going to play a factor, I think it's simply going to be, they're going to trust their evaluation, and ultimately Nagy and the coaching staff and Pace are going to get together and make that final decision, um, but again, I I don't know if there's really a right answer, but it's going to be very interesting. And the more interesting aspect of this again, is that we only have probably about two weeks left of this. We only have two weeks left of this conversation before this is over with, and we're going to know who's going to be starting. Cause you want to be able to start prepping and know what's going on. Even if they don't make an announcement, um, you're going to want to know what's going on within the next two weeks. Cause you're only gonna have a week and a half to prep after that. I mean, you pretty much going to have that one half week and then, you know, game week for week one and I mean, simply put, we're running out of time here. I mean, there's just no other way around it. I mean, this quarterback competition has been the talk, even when it wasn't actually a competition. And I, I would say, and correct me if I'm wrong, or if you have a different opinion here, but I would say that we're probably at maximum two weeks away from this finally coming to an end and us having resolution on this.
2: Yeah, I'd say so that's, a, that's a good timeline. Uh, Nagy says they're going to try dragging it out as long as they can until there's a clear winner. Um, I mean, you know, we, we're just over three weeks or so away from the start of the season. You, you gotta, you gotta have that guy ready for the game week. I mean, you, you gotta have your starter established and get him as many first team reps as you can. I'd say, you know, we'll give it next week, and I think the week after that. So I think end of August will uh, will essentially be I say is what the nineteenth. So let's see, next week is twenty fifth, twenty sixth. I'd say maybe first week of September we'll probably see an answer. I mean, that last kind of last couple of training camp days. And if, you know, even if Nagy doesn't come out and say it, I mean, we could get a hint at who's taking all the, all the reps at number one, or if if there's a, if there is a quarterback that is taking, you know, more reps at one than, than the other. So, yeah, I mean, I don't know. This is going to be tough because you did mention the kicking competition. It's easy for us to go out there as media and, and chart the throws and, Oh, you know, Trubisky went eight of, 10 and, and Foles went 9 of 10 and, and Foles had the better day but you know the routes might be different um, other things can impact it maybe the receiver dropped the pass from one quarterback uh, maybe the coverage was blown on another on another play things like that and you know we got to leave it up to the coaches and, and like and like you did mention a good point is the off the field stuff is going to be important who's coming in and out of the huddle with command uh, Who's who's really coaching up their teammates things like that and to be honest, you know, I like to get the, the, the edge to Foles on that he knows the coaching staff. He's been a leader. He knows what it takes. But, I mean, we just keep hearing all the time, this is a new Mitch Trubisky. This is a guy who's, who, who's developed that leadership role. And, and I don't think this quote's get enough credit from Cordero Patterson on Tuesday. He flat out said, I did not see Mitchell Trubisky as a leader last season. I see a leadership role in him now, and he's taken over that role and become a leader. I mean that's that's very telling that maybe there wasn't a lot of belief in Trubisky as things were going bad last season, but he's kind of busted his ass and, and worked hard this off season, on and off the field to become that guy. Now will it pay off? It's got to translate to the field, and I think that's ultimately what's going to kind of end this quarterback race.
3: Yeah, I agree. I you know the 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 whole offseason advantage and different things like that I mean it's it's well and fine for Patterson to come out and say that about Trubisky now but again the play on the field is going to be the bigger thing I don't think there's ever really been a situation where everybody in the locker room didn't love Trubisky as a person and want him to succeed he's a good dude I, I mean there's just there's you know, if anybody has ever questioned that, that's never been the problem for Trubisky. It's never been a lack of trying. It's never been, even for a lack of talent. I honestly, and I, I think we both agree on this, and we've talked about it multiple times, it's all in between the ears for him. It's just, it's, it's a mental thing to get the most out of him. And I mean, I, I, I still hope he wins a job. I don't expect he's going to, but I still hope he wins a job. And I hope that he has a successful career because then we can go away from the talk of, you know, the Bears having to look in a different direction for a quarterback and, you know, we're still on quarterback held or they finally have their guy, even if he's, you know, top 12, top 15 type quarterback, I think that's more than good enough with this defense. And it It answers a lot of questions, but unfortunately, you know, we're two days into practice. We still don't have a lot of answers. It sounds like the the competition's close, at least, you know, what meets the eye, um, you know, so uh, obviously by this time next week, when we have another podcast out, I think, between everything that you're reporting on you know, and the happenings of what's going on in practice in between now and then and, and versus what we talk about on the podcast, I think we'll have a much better idea and frankly we'll have a much better idea by this time next week. Um, they're still playing at a lackluster level. I think that there's going to be some concern as to – or either one of these guys is really going to be able to do enough for the Bears to even challenge for a wild card spot.
2: Yeah, I mean that's the other thing. They gotta separate themselves, and and even though you know, just because you win the quarterback battle, you know, doesn't mean the Bears are set at the position. They need whoever it is to be a good quarterback. Maybe whether it's top fifteen, top ten, they need them to be a good quarterback, and and the play you know has to show on the field. So yeah, we'll keep track of that. We'll be back uh, next week with a brand new episode. Have more training camp coverage as the practices go on. I don't think there's another off day until sometime next week so we'll have plenty more to cover aaron uh, where can everyone follow you on twitter at Yep,
3: yeah, you can follow me at aaron lemming nfl and you can also read my work on the bearreport.com.
2: Perfect. perfect uh, you can follow the bear report on twitter at just bear report. you can follow me on twitter at zach z-a-c-k underscore pearson and um yeah you can read my work on the bearport.com and 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 please rate review subscribe and like on all major podcasting platforms. We'll be back next week to share our thoughts on the Bears training camp as it continues on. Till then everyone please stay safe.
0: For the one standing guard, for the eagle eyed, for the knights in shining armor, and for all those who support them. We are Granger, your experienced safety partner, offering supplies and solutions for every industry committed to helping keep your facilities safe and your people safer call click slash safety or just stop by granger for the ones who get it done
1: whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance that's why i'm excited that unified healing is sponsoring podcasts on the blue wire network